Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 401. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And this feels like a very intimate late night session. It is 11 p.m., 11.06 p.m. I should have been in bed a long time ago. I feel like I have so much to update y'all on like some behind the scenes chaos that this year has been dishing out to me thus far. But if I seem a little unhinged today, it's because I have no work-life balance for the time being. I'm in a bit of a hustle moment, kind of a rebuilding moment. Brad, the dad, just went to bed maybe 40 minutes ago, and Max has been asleep for a while. So this feels like a late-night mama time <laughs> uh, with my pod pals. Like you all, I just popped some popcorn. I got myself a little limoncello salsi and uh let's dig into it today. <laughs> this is this is the vibe for today's bossed up podcast. I have to say today's episode which is all about how to find a sponsor as a woman on the rise at work was inspired by one of our very own pod pals, Susan, who wrote recently in the bossed up courage community uh, in response to my call for career conundrums, she wrote, Emily, I love the podcast. Thank you, Susan. Uh, how do you find a sponsor that will pull you up instead of just a mentor, especially if you work in an industry with very few boss ladies? Thanks. Susan, thank you for asking this question. I think it's such an excellent one. And I want to start off with one major reality check. Nobody finds a sponsor. You make a sponsor. And so today's episode, I want to break down how you go about doing such a thing because it is a creative, generative, interactive process that you have to be an agent of change involved. And you have to be someone who's pushing that boulder up the hill. You really can't just sit back, relax, and wait to find a sponsor. You've got to make a sponsor by taking an active role. So I always recommend first and foremost to start with who you already know. Who already likes you at work? Who do you already have warm relationships with? Who do you already know is impressed with your work? Who is already a fan of your work? Whether it's peripheral, like you just occasionally cross paths with them or have a cross-functional team project together, or maybe it's a former client um, who's not even within your organization, but has a lot of power in your industry. Maybe it is your boss, or maybe it's your boss's boss, right? These are people who you might rub shoulders with on occasion or very frequently. But make this process easier on yourself by not imagining that you have to start from scratch. Start with the low-hanging fruit, for lack of a better word, right? Start with who you already know. And then ask yourself, have I done the work to actually activate them, right? I did an episode um, back in the day, episode 360, with David Smith, who wrote this interesting book called Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. And our entire conversation on the podcast was about how you can actively activate your allies to help close the gender leadership gap. Because that doesn't really happen on its own. You have to tap your network. You have to ask for the help you need. You have to ask for doors to be opened, even if you're not sure what doors exist that you might not know about. That means being vulnerable, 
oftentimes, right? That means sharing your ambition, sharing your aspirations, asking for advice, asking for support, and asking for folks to put in a good word for you. And once you've done all of those things, whether that person comes through for you and actively sponsors you in some capacity, opens doors for you, invites you to different tables, gets you into rooms you wouldn't otherwise be in or not, that's out of your hands. So you can sort of relinquish the responsibility from your shoulders because then it's on that person. If you've made your case, you've asked, maybe you've asked more than once for support, you've done your due diligence here. If they get threatened by your ambition, that is not on you. I once had a mentor, someone who I considered a mentor, say to me, I was like 22 years old at the time. I was an intern. And she said to me, Emily, you would step on me to get ahead. And I was like, damn, that just like, it just absolutely left me speechless. I didn't even know what to say to that. But clearly at 22, my ambition was already a threat to this woman who, you know, I thought was an ally. I thought was a mentor. I thought was would be a sponsor. But it's not on me to make her into a sponsor if she's going to be full of self-consciousness and judgment and uh, and all kinds of feelings that I, I can't take responsibility for. And yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge that that was a woman who felt threatened and was very unhelpful to me, as it turns out, because our gender identity is not an inherent alliance maker. I'll say that again. Your identity and your shared identity with someone else doesn't necessarily make them your ally. And so when you're thinking about who you already know and how you can turn those relationships into sponsor relationships, please do not limit yourself to just women or just people of the same race or just people of the same educational background or ability or any of those identifiers, right? Male mentors play a huge role in breaking down the gender leadership gap because if this world is still run by predominantly male and pale people, we need those male and pale folks to lift others up who don't share their identity. And guess what? They might not be thinking about doing that on their own. So what you're actually doing when you start with who you already know and you activate your allies, which I'll get into more detail on in a moment here, is you're offering people in power an opportunity to act on their values. An opportunity to support you is an opportunity for them to act on their values if they value, you know, closing gender leadership gaps or supporting others or being a champion and being a sponsor. If they don't, that's not your problem. So once you've started with who you already know, make this less intimidating by just starting with whoever's easy, right? Beyond that, I would expand to identify people within your organization who have power. Sometimes I call this power mapping your organization. Really thinking broadly who has authority and who has power over the future of my career, over the strategic direction of this organization, over the division I want to transfer into, or whatever it might be in, let's say, the broader community or the, the different industry that I want to get into. Identify who has power and make them your target, right? Like, make establishing 
a warm relationship with them, an explicit goal to help further your career. Now, when you're identifying the power players, please don't confuse power for authority. Both are important, but they're different, right? Power can come in many forms, including folks who don't have formal authority. They might not actually be the in the C-suite. They might be the schedulers, the executive assistants, the gatekeepers to the people in positions of formal authority. Having worked with ELS, executive leadership support over the years, I know just how influential and powerful EAs or executive assistants are in every institution. So don't be afraid to think non-traditionally. Think outside the box a little bit when you think of who has power within your organization and make it your mission to build collegial relationships with them. Sometimes, especially in our Level Up Leadership Program, I always remind our emerging leaders and first-time women managers that relationship building, especially once you're in a leadership position, that is part of your work. (laughs) It's not a distraction from getting work done. It's not something you have to balance with work. It is part of your work. So the third step here is to build genuine relationships and count that as real work because it is just like when I was talking about career care a few episodes back, Furthering your career takes conscious time, effort, and energy. So please consider this part of your job, okay? I'm giving you permission to do so. So you heard it here first if you haven't heard it before. So you've identified the people you already know who like you and the powerful, influential people within your organization or broader community who might not know you, but with whom you want to develop a deeper relationship. How do you go about doing that? Look, call me old school, and maybe this is analog of me, but the grassroots organizer at my core finds it hard to imagine doing this meaningfully any other way than a one-on-one meeting. I was just at an event yesterday with a, a lunch event with an amazing group of powerful, influential women advocates who are fighting for gender equity here in Colorado and beyond in the private and public sectors. And I had a lovely time at this lunch, but did I develop a new deep relationship with anyone? No, it was like an hour and a half maximum. And there were 20 people there. There was no way I was going to leave the table feeling like, wow, I really got to know someone and they really got to know me. My metric for success in leaving that lunch was that there were at least three women who we had mutually agreed we have to get together to get to know each other further. We have, we should grab a coffee. We should grab lunch. We should have a one-on-one. Whether it's virtual or in person, a one-on-one meeting is how it's done. And look, when you're trying to get on the schedule of a really busy person for a one-on-one, that is a high bar ask. So there's certainly an art form to it. I've I've written extensively on our blog and podcasted before about how to get on a busy person's calendar. I'll link to that in today's show notes. How to craft the email that'll get you time on their schedule. And how to make the most of it when you do have a 20-minute Zoom call or a 45-minute coffee meeting set up finally, which can take a while to get. But to me, again, part of my organizer, grassroots organizer sort of roots 
knows the power of that one-on-one relationship building is so foundational. It's how we share stories. It's how we identify resources. It's how we identify common, common values. And so let's say I have a meeting with a division chief in the hospital I'm working in, and I'm starting to explore my next move, and I want them to help me get into their division and get out of my division, let's say. When I'm meeting with this division chief who clearly has a billion other things to do besides meet with me, I'm going to do my best to share my story and try to identify common values that we share, commonalities either personally or professionally that demonstrates that we have a shared humanity. And then in that conversation, I'm also going to try to figure out what different resources we can bring to the table. This isn't a, oh my gosh, please, please, please help me. You're on a pedestal. I'm just a lowly peasant down here. Please take pity on me thing. No, this is a peer-to-peer conversation. Even if it's very much not, I'm going to bring that energy to it and say, oh, one of the resources that I have to bring to this conversation is the article I just read that I think you would find really interesting about this. Did you see it? No? I'm going to send it to you. Or here's a book I read. Or here's a great podcast I listened to that I'm going to recommend, right? Whatever it might be, even if you're no freaking expert, like you have value. So go in ready to, to share that. Now I'm just repeating the podcast I already mentioned, but it's a good one. It's worth checking out. Um, actually, I think it was a YouTube video, so maybe I should make it into a podcast, but that's a whole other conversation for another day. I told you this would be unhinged. The key here is to walk away from a one-on-one conversation, having balanced your use of warmth and competence. This is something I come back to time and again with my women leaders in Level Up. To be the kind of leader people actually like You have to not only show your smarts, show your skills, show your competencies, you also have to be warm. You have to connect personally. And trust me, sometimes it's easier said than done. As an extrovert, there's certainly a privilege going into these meetings that can make it harder for those of us who are introverted. But this is a skill set that comes with practice, and not everyone is going to be a match, right? So you can't win them all. But getting up and doing your due diligence and trying again after stumbling is the key here. It's great if you've got the ability to do this in person. I've been doing so much relationship building and networking in Denver this year. But some might argue, as my guest on a recent episode of the podcast did, last August I had a conversation with Janice Omadeki. She argued that mentorship in remote workplaces is actually more equitable and accessible. So this is by no means something that has to be done in person. It can also absolutely be done well virtually. The key here is to have the opportunity to genuinely and humanly connect with someone and then follow up effectively. Follow up effectively to stay in touch, to deepen the relationship, to offer up resources, and most importantly, to ask for what you need without apology. You know, asking for what we need is the crux of self-advocacy. It can be really hard, especially if you're a job seeker or a career transitioner and you, you kind of feel like a burden by asking for help from your network. And that that is real. And that's something that so many people have experienced. 
I've experienced as a business owner during a really tumultuous time right now. Asking for help is hard. But again, we have to remember that we're not begging here. There's nothing terrible about, you know, we're not groveling at anyone's feet here. We are unapologetically advocating for ourselves and our career just as we would on behalf of others. And what you're really doing in that moment is you're respecting their ability, the the person you're asking support from. You're respecting their ability to set their own boundaries for themselves, right? When you ask unapologetically, perhaps even repeatedly, You're doing your part, and then you're leaving the rest up to them. You're saying, look, if they need to draw a boundary, they can draw a boundary. They can say no. It's not going to make me feel like a failure. It's not going to make me feel resentful towards them because I totally get where no's come from, and I'm going to give out my fair share of no's uh, in my lifetime and my career too. But you're really offering up an opportunity to someone who is more senior than you, perhaps even someone who has more power and privilege than you, to do something meaningful, to do something powerful, to do something kind, and to do something that will move the needle in your career as a way to act on their values. So if they care about generosity, if they care about equality and equity, if they care about kindness, if those are their values, you're offering them an opportunity to act on those values. So ask for support without apology because turning a mentor into a sponsor means asking not only for advice, it means asking for an invitation. It means finding out where they're going and seeing if you can tag along, whether it's to a fundraiser, to a meeting, to an event, to an industry conference. It might mean asking for them to write a letter of recommendation for you, to send an email on your behalf, to introduce you to someone else, right? There are so many ways that you can activate your mentors to turn them into sponsors, and you're really providing them with a roadmap to act on their values. And remember, you can only do so much. You can give them the roadmap. You can ask for the direction you want them to take you in, At the end of the day, whether they choose to act on your behalf and whether they choose to champion you when you're not there, when you're not asking for their support, and whether they think of you the rest of the time, that's not up to you. So focus on what you can control. Start with who you already know. Identify and make it an explicit objective to connect with people who have more power than you do in your workplace. Develop genuine, authentic relationships. And then ask, leverage those relationships without apology. Now, you know what I'm going to say here, because I always sign off with the saying, the motto set back in 1896 by America's first Black Women's Association, lifting as we climb. You know what I'm going to say here, right? If we're asking for sponsors, we better be prepared to sponsor others too. So do not apologize. Do not equivocate. Ask for the support you need to get to the next level in your career, and then you turn around and make sure the door is open and you are actively lifting those who are coming up behind you. 
I'd love to hear what you thought about today's episode, Susan. Thank you again for the question in the Bossed Up Courage community that originally inspired today's conversation. If you apply anything I've shared in today's Boss Tip, let me know. Let's keep the conversation going in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook and the Bossed Up group on LinkedIn. I'll drop links to all of those references and places I just mentioned in today's show notes. And you can read the full blog post version of today's podcast at bossedup.org slash episode 401. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe we are over 400 episodes into this podcast. So look, in the spirit of unapologetically asking for the support you need, I've got a big ask for you. It's not a big one, but it feels big to me because I haven't asked for this in like, I don't know, 200 episodes, I think. Will you do me a quick favor? If you're listening to this in Apple Podcasts or in Spotify, this is particularly relevant for you. Please rate and review this podcast. It takes less than five minutes. I'll include instructions, but mostly it just means scroll to the bottom of the podcast page you're on right now and click the five stars if you're enjoying this show. Leave me some words of encouragement if you want me to keep going. Over 400 episodes in, I could use it right now, honestly. And I'll tell you, honestly, I read every single review. Most recently, like two weeks ago, L.A. Candy wrote uh, her title for her little review was A Gem to Listen to with a little sparkly stars emoji. She said, I'm in a transitional phase in my career and loved coming across this podcast. Emily has fantastic energy. I hope that remains true, even at 11 p.m. Is a wonderful interview and asks all the right questions. Her show was a gem to listen to from the beginning to the end. Oh, my gosh. She goes on to shout out a few episodes in particular. Thank you so much, LA Candy. And thank you if you take the time to rate and review. It just takes a minute, and it makes a big difference, especially at this kind of pivotal point I'm in in the business. Maybe I'll get into more details on that in an upcoming episode. You might have to wait at least two weeks to learn more, but it's a doozy. 2023 is really hitting on uh, all fronts right now. So, all right, I got to wrap this up. I'm rambling. Thank you for going on this wild ride of an episode with me. Until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb. 